Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Grind My Gears. Got a great one for you today, but before we get into it, log on to www.ashenandartmma.com and get your DILF Bod shirt. We're representing all the DILFs. I'm starting a new movement, and it's about if MILFs can get a thing, we're soaking DILFs too. So log on to www.ashenandartmma.com. Get your DILF Bod shirt. Use discount code DILF to get 10% off of everything. Uh, we also got the No Excuses lines. Uh, the Nobody Cares Work Harder gear, everything, 10% off. Give your husband a DILF shirt for uh, Christmas and let him know you appreciate that bod. Uh, anyway, all that shit aside, I have Moira Swain on today. Uh, <clears throat> therapist extraordinaire. She is one of the best in the game. I know she's humble, so she won't say uh, she won't say that. She's shaking her head. Screw you. I, I'm saying it. Um, but one of the best in the game. Um, and she has worked with athletes from all over in terms of the scope of any sport, uh, from professional ranks to amateur to the regular Joe. Uh, so Moira, what's up? How are you doing? Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, anytime. You're one of my favorite people in the world. So yeah. it's uh, very kind. Great to talk to you. Uh, yeah. how, how have things been, uh, pandemic shit aside? <laughs> pandemic shit aside, it's been oh, yeah. fine. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like, um, I mean, everybody has to deal with that shit. So that yeah. shit aside, how has, um, things been in terms of just life? Pretty good. Hanging in there. Yeah. Hanging in there. It's been, it's been interesting. It's hard to separate the two. So yeah. It, well, I mean, it's pretty much a daily thing now. Uh, but yeah. I mean, that being said, uh, let's jump right into this. As the pandemic has gone on uh, and you've seen patients after uh, the lockdowns and all of that kind of shit has happened. Um, I mean, there's the from the fitness and health perspective, there's obviously obesity rates have gone up, depression, anxiety all that other shit. Um, but from the actual uh, physical standpoint, uh, what have you noticed mostly with, you know, even athletes or with just regular patients coming in to see you, uh, conditions they sort of develop throughout this whole thing? Yeah. So it's been, it's been kind of interesting because it's sort of like the, the, uh, other than the top elite, but let's say like a, a top, performer in whatever they consider to be their uh, their athletic endeavor a lot of people haven't had the chance to do what they normally do so it's been it's sort of been a normalizer in terms of having everybody becoming a sedentary sitting at a desk type type individual right so it's um it's very interesting to me because I thought you know I thought when you sat at a desk job out in an office that gave you more opportunity to eat bad food and to not exercise because you were tied to your, your desk and stuff like that. But it seems like people working from home have just consumed. Um, They're sitting more because they can, Uh, there's no reason to leave. Right. There's, I mean, as shitty as a commute is um, at least it makes you walk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like if your commute is from your bed to your living room, 
um, that's, you know, it's like five steps, you know, depending on what, I mean, if you're in Toronto, it's in, yeah, it's five steps. It's literally, yes. It's literally <laughs> based, right. based on the size of the average condo in this, this <laughs> stupid ass city. Yeah. Um, so have you noticed like more, I guess, posterior chain? So for those people who don't know, that's like, uh, shoulders, upper back, lower back, glutes, uh, hips. Has that been like the main uh, problem areas people are having in terms of mechanical most definitely and i would say even concentrating more on like the the neck shoulders headaches would that be i mean that would be from i know coach g coined the term flamingo neck mm. would, that, would that be because most people are basically staring down at like uh ergonomically you're staring down at a laptop most of the time yeah a computer so what 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 develop what developments had like in terms of what problems have people had like so a lot of so again you you said physical but yeah. i can't i can't ignore the psychological part oh, of for sure, yeah. the treatment that i do as well yeah. um you know people have always said that i should charge more because therapy. you get the <laughs> you get the mental therapy along with the physical yeah. but um, yeah, it's been, I mean, I would say for the first, you know, what people were telling me for the first six months is that they, nobody set up their workstations at home properly because they didn't think they were going to be there for any longer than that. The, you know, the two weeks to flatten the curve. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Like this was, I thought this was going to be two months and like yeah. well, so everything did, was going to be normal. So did everybody, but I mean, surprise. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so 19 months later. 19 months later. Um, now, I mean. Obviously, I know this, but, um, you know, when people are sitting on their ass incredibly more, um, their glutes are getting no work. Like, and one of the things that I kind of preach when I have clients, are, like the first thing they tell me, oh, this hurts. I'm like, well, you need to do glute raises. Do you think that we're going to see a tremendous amount of, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, flat asses? coming out of the pandemic in terms of just conditions developed in the lower back, hamstrings, knees, etc. just because you're not, when you sit on your ass, you're not using it and the muscle will waste away. Well, right? basically atrophy. Yeah, for sure. And if you weren't actively, I mean, you know, you, you would know from a, a personal one-on-one -on -one standpoint, but how many people, if you already had a home gym or something set up then you're probably better off than most people but how many people did that uh, like pe people either were going to a facility or they were having their activities right yeah. like even even just going and playing volleyball once a week or going and playing soccer once a week that yeah. activates the muscles not in a formal sense but it at least does something well i mean the here's the thing about the home gym stuff like, <laughs> i'm a i love fitness and all that shit i work out more than people people will call me crazy in terms of how much uh athletes and people like me work out and train but there's a big fucking difference between picking yourself up and going to a place to physically do it and my living room there's a, there's a totally different uh thing so uh for the like i mean don't get me wrong i'm sure there's going to be after this is all said and done and in the history books there'll be some people who have taken to online training and doing stuff more at home once in a while. Um, but let's not, let's not beat around the bush people. Like working out at home is not a thing that you're going to do consistently all the time. It's just, just so 
exactly. That's my point is that the, the people that I treat, I would say there's a low five to 10% of people that did something at home. Yeah. Right. So now that you were stuck there, the, and everyone just sort of, again, it's the psychology, everyone just sort of accepted it. So there wasn't the motivation until probably I'd say the past eight months to go and do something about it. Were you getting a lot of um, people coming in with ailments like during the lockdown or like just reaching out to you like during the lockdown parts? I had quite a few people reaching out during, yeah. When like we technically weren't allowed to treat. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of emails and text messages and stuff like that. I know, like, I know you can't obviously divulge each person's case because that's Mm -hmm. not allowed, but like, what would, what would, to sum up the most amounts of, what was the most common thing that was developing injury wise? Yeah. Honestly, it was neck. Neck? It was neck and shoulders. Yeah. And saying that, do you think it's because of stress too, combined with? 100%. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it was it. it was poor workstations combined with the stress of everything, with um, and people feeling helpless yeah. as well, like not not necessarily having the tools. And then when stores were shut down, yeah, right, yeah. like unless you were an Amazon fiend, right, like you're ordering stuff to try and make yourself better, but there wasn't an easy way of going out and dealing with it. Well, and then you can order shit and it doesn't, it's not the right thing or right. not the right size or yep. whatever. Yep. Now saying neck and shoulders and and that kind of thing with people transitioning to like a more probably a hybrid workplace now uh i know in january a lot of people are going to be going back to work going back to the office at least on a part-time basis um do you think the problems will probably these these aggregate problems will persist well into yeah considering that there's going to be a hybrid mall instead of just staying at home all the time? I would imagine they would actually improve once people start moving. Is it just based on movement alone, right? I would say so. Yep. There's nothing you can't, you can't take away from healing your body of just some kind of movement. Yeah. Obviously structured, specific, targeted is the best thing to do. But when you're when you're not dealing with elite athletes, you have to convince people how to do things that they're willing to do, right? Yeah. And yeah. just moving. <laughs> yeah, just just get up. Right? Just get up. Um, yeah. So, like, with I mean, the pandemic is one thing, but like, uh, when you diagnose, like, I'll, like the one thing I I always praise you for is you're a brilliant diagnostician. Um, Thank you for. for, <laughs> for for what people, if if somebody who's listening doesn't understand what the what the hell I'm talking about, I'll give you a good example. Um, <clears throat> I've torn my ACL before. Like I've torn it, it was torn in half. It was gone. And it was torn. I had the surgery, and then I had a training incident, and I had an MRI, uh, which was, you know, valuable, but it kind of wasn't 100% accurate, because um, MRIs, lo and behold, are not 100% accurate. And then I proceeded to see three surgeons um, and all three surgeons did their little did, did, did they fiddle with it. Yeah, you're torn. Let's get you in the hospital. Let's get you. And um, it was you who did your manual test and said, eh, I still feel something. Right. And then so that person that that you're 
your diagnosis, I, I wouldn't say changed my mind. I was still accepted there was a an issue, um, but it made me question the validity of the other surgeons and their motives behind the di- uh, the the diagnosis. And then I went to uh, Cleveland Clinic and talked to Dr. Miniachi, who's a boss. If anyone is yep. in Toronto, talk, go see that guy. I don't even know if he's still working here after all this shit, but. Um, and he, he looked at the MRI, looked at the knee in depth and said, this is not a knee I would even touch or operate on. And lo and behold, where this is like five, six years later, while I do have some incidents of instability, I have a full intact strength knee. Now that story being said, how do you approach diagnosing uh, a client and an injury when it comes to you on a table? So, okay, so I'm going to do one, one exclusion is that technically I can't diagnose. No, no. So we call it assessing assessing, assessing. (laughs) as a, as a, you know, technical term, because only physicians and stuff like that can diagnose. So from, from a, from an assessment decision, and then, you know, going on to a plan from there, there, you, I think you said it perfectly, whatever term you used is that depending on who you go and see, yeah, they're going to do, you can have four or five people do exactly the same test. I can't drill in your knee and fix it. Yeah. Right. So you're seeing three surgeons or two surgeons and a sports medicine physician who their line of thinking is, can I fix this or can I not fix this with the tools that I have? Okay. okay. Right. Yeah. So a sports medicine doctor may say, well, I can inject you with, PRP, I can inject you with steroids, I can take away your symptoms so that you can go and do whatever you need to do. A surgeon will say, I will open you up or I will not open you up depending on how they feel, right? So as a therapist, and as an athletic therapist, my schooling was very much in the specific assessment tools. Okay. And really more so the treating of which so if my if my assessment is that Yep, I am 90% sure because I wouldn't have said that to you in particular. Yeah. And I try not to say it to people unless I'm that sure. Yeah. Um, that in your case, there's a ligament hanging on here. Yeah. And it, and it was a sizable amount too. It wasn't uh, as advertised in the MRI and the diagram. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right. It's uh, statistically MRIs are 77% accurate. Yeah, and I and I don't think people uh, realize how actually low that is. That's incredibly low in terms of making a surgical decision. Uh, yep. And I, I we'll go back to what you were saying, but uh, when I tore my pec, because I've torn everything, um, <laughs> just so people have a perspective of how you know they're not a hundred percent. When I tore my pec. It was torn, but when the surgery actually happened and the surgeon talked to my wife after, he did say that there were uh, some fibers left, whereas when you get the actual results of the MRI, uh, it says it's complete a complete tear. So yes. it, it is not 100% in terms of visuals and what um, the, the report says, right? Yep. So anyway, back to what you were saying. But and that's what you and I said too. If we're going to continue talking about your and my relationship as yeah. treating, I could feel fibers in your pack too. Yeah. 
right? Like I knew that wasn't completely, I knew it was significantly. It was, it was sizably. <laughs> there was, we had yeah. things to deal with, but like, so I, I, again, and again, that's not, not to, not to, you know, to toot my own horn or whatever, but it's just, you, you gain a sense ACLs in, in particular, I've, I've treated and yeah. assessed yeah. tons of those. They're my absolute most favorite thing to treat um, because it's tangible. It's fixable. My favorite thing is broken knees. I love that. <laughs> exactly. You've broken well, knees. Like, well, I don't want to, you know, the dealing with the people with um, the transient numbness down the legs and things like, like that's much harder yeah. to deal with. And it's harder to convince people that you're going to help them. Yeah. Right. It's that much more complicated. Whereas when you have something that, you know, again, varying degrees of severity, I can assure the person that they're going to get better. Yeah. And that's great for both of us. Right. Yeah. It's great yeah. for me. It's great for you. But in terms of, so again, taking you into consideration, most people who tear their ACLs are not sedentary people. Yeah. They're right. Act they're, act they're active. active. So they're usually willing to do the work. So if you can convince them that it's not the end of the world, there are proven and, you know, foundational exercises and rehabilitation processes that you can do. And people live, people live freely without and successfully without an ACL at all. I know too. As long as you're strong enough. My old, my old head coach, Chris Bonfoco, who I've had on this podcast before, uh, he has not had an ACL for a more than half of his life he actually I, I if i remember correctly him telling me he tore it away when he was a kid and didn't even know and he was just having meniscus issues and that's when they found mm -hmm. out it was torn mm -hmm. and I, i'm 100 percent sure he never touched it since he's uh and he's been to black belt in jiu-jitsu and now he's doing iron mans and shit so i mean that's like i mean you do need it but depending on when the injury happens it, there is a situation where you don't need it right i guess and men do better than women yeah well isn't it statistically men i mean women tear their acl statistically more than men right yeah and in like kind of like a a peripubescent situation so it's almost like 13 to 15 and what why so, is that is it because uh it partially has to do with hormones actually so oh. there there are a few studies that um say that when like hormones are kind of in flux that's a a time where the girls will will tear i won't go into details but you will tear it more often in that regard um and then structurally it has to do with the fact that women have so it's called a q angle but basically our hips to our knees yeah that angle of that inner is sharper than with men are very straight up and down so you don't have that outside or valgus force to the knee that women do and so it just doesn't happen as much not to mention the fact that when you do tear it men have better muscle development, right? So does that mean that when women have an external force to the outside of the knee, they're more susceptible to uh, toe and ACL? Exactly, yep. Well, Cause I'm, it's that lateral to medial along with rotation that typically carries it. And th this is just a random question, but would high heels have anything to do with uh, the degradation of that as well? I've never read anything about that. I'm trying to think of it right now. I mean, it would shorten, that would shorten the posterior chain, like hamstring tightness. So hamstring or like hyperextension is usually how you re-tear it if okay. you've had a reconstruction, but I'm not sure that that would 
Oh, I'm just asking because yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, high heels are an enigma to me. I don't fucking know. <laughs> well, the the devils. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. I don't physically. I, I I'm comfortable with my sexuality. So I but <laughs> I've put them on and I've tried it. Um, walking in them and it's fucking torture. So I don't like. Congratulations to women who pull it off, but it's fucking ridiculous. It's like, just put a flat shoe on or something with a a, um, uh, a comfortable heel. Like yeah, a running shoe. Something, yes. something comfy. Like I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I understand open toes looks good, sexy, whatever. But shit, your fucking feet probably hate you. <laughs> we do it to ourselves. So. Yeah. No. Well, whatever. You gotta look good too, right? That's right. Uh, so when. Um, when you work with athletes or so change gears a little bit, um, I'm not, I'm not asking, I want I'll ask the injury part after, but what's the number one issue you deal with in terms of athletes? Like, um, as a athlete myself, I can tell you, I'm a whiny bitch when I get hurt. Um, no, you when you get an athlete in there with an injury, um, what's the number one issue? Is it like convincing them that, things will be okay. What's the, what's the most important thing that, or the issue that comes to mind when you treat one? Yeah. You, so that sort of like leapt into my mind just now, but honestly, the hardest part is getting them back to what they were doing before. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. Like I can usually convince people that things are going to be okay, but it's when you're, so if it's, if it's something that's prolonged, like if it's something like an ankle sprain or, you know, a strain to a rotator cuff muscle or something like that, that's three weeks to a month. Yeah. Nothing much. Right. You know, the average person, even if you're 15 years old, you can, you can see beyond three weeks, right. And know that things are going to be okay. Um, with more complicated things, it's convincing people that they can go back and do what they wanted to do. Um, and I, I mean, I had one, I had one patient, this is when I first started and she had torn her ACL playing basketball and she had such a mental block about it that she didn't, she refused to go back to basketball, but her first sporting endeavor was indoor soccer, <laughs> which to me was completely like worse <laughs> than, than going and playing basketball in a nice straight up, you know, there's pivoting, yeah, there's but, a, lot more, uh, a fairly regulated up and down type of motion and avoidance of certain situations. But that's the psychology of what we do too. Yeah. Uh, um, now, I mean, you've seen a, a varying array of athletes come by. Do you have a certain like athletes in a certain sport or come from a certain background sport that, kind of manage those mental issues from injury better than others? Ooh, that's an excellent question. Soccer players are really bad. <laughs> that wasn't what you asked. <laughs> no, but I, it, makes, it makes perfectly fucking sense if you I'm, watch tr- the I'm Italian, trying to like now do a deduction of... If you watch the Italian soccer team, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it's... It, and I don't know what it... Because, I mean, I was a soccer player. I played soccer yeah. for 23 years. And it's it's not... You know, it's it's a tough. I, I'd say at the lower levels, it's a tougher sport than it is <laughs> at the higher levels. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's pretty grinding, but and I would say definitely. I mean, the handful, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, but the yeah. handful of people who, so like a combat type arts, a football, yeah, 
a hockey. It, it's super cliche and it doesn't have to be, I mean, female, female yeah. fighters. I've yeah, yeah. treated two of them um, and female hockey players. I treated a ton of them and it's, it has to go with the mentality of the sport. I would imagine like why yeah. you even bother getting into it. You're tough. Yeah. yeah. I, well, right? I, it kind of, I mean, the amount of shit I've been through and I'm still like at it. Uh, it's, a, it, it sounds like like you just said cliche it's a toughness thing like um to be like a, a lot of people ask me why i keep doing stuff and why why i even uh, even competed in the first place and i tell them you know it's one it's scary so i do it but two it's the hardest thing i've ever done like uh the scariest place to me is being fully trained being well-equipped, being on the bottom, somebody fully mounted on top of me and being my fucking face in. If that's not what's happening to me, I'm okay. So like when these kind of things arise, I'm sure because you've treated me through almost every one of them. Um, I've pretty much, as they kept happening, I just was like, okay, what's the timeline? All right, let's, let's, let's get healthy and let's do it. I mean, each and every one of them had their challenges, but I mean, I had this last one was the Achilles, which happened during the pandemic. So I obviously didn't get as much time uh, or therapy as I did on previous ones. And I kind of blew it out of the park. Like I still have some stuff to work on, which is why I was, I was, we were planning to compete in November next month. Uh, but I, there's still some stuff I need to iron out with it because I didn't have tools available to me during the pandemic because of lockdowns etc but as i mean <clears throat> as you experience the setbacks i feel like most athletes i'm not gonna they learn to kind of mentally block out okay whatever it, it, it is what it is and i like to use i don't know if you know who dominic Cruz is. he's uh he's a ufc fighter mm -hmm. but um he was the champ and he tore i believe he tore in his acl like three or four times the guy's injury prone to the max but it's because of his style of fight he's constantly moving like watching him fight is like watching it's you know somebody on speed like just on the fun the fucking it's just constantly moving and it's because of his training regimen and so he, he he really puts his body in really compromising positions right mm -hmm. uh, when he trains um but the guy literally will tear something and just come back and he's been doing and, and He's been doing it for like eight years where he, yeah. he could have been legitimately the pound for pound best fighter in the world if those things didn't happen to him, but he's still going at it. And I think that's what, I mean, separates I as a human being too, like that makes him a better human being because uh, you go through these setbacks and I'm sure you've seen people come and just absolutely crumble in front of you after an injury that, you know, whether it's big or small, mm -hmm. but it's the ones that kind of just, you know, okay, I'm going to just get past this. Moira said, I'd be okay. Those are the kind of ones that, you know, after sports done really take it to another level in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, so as you're talking, I'm like, I'm kind of Rolodexing people and stuff like that in my head right now. And it's, yeah. Honestly, I think it comes down to, and it doesn't matter the level and it doesn't matter the age, but what's your motivation? Yeah. Your why? Right. So is this, you know, I had, I had a patient years ago who fractured like his tibia and his fibula 
So pretty significant. Yeah. Was in a cast for however long. And he was he was a real person, but he was an OHL referee as well. Yeah. So big hockey guy. And I believe it was Steven Stamkos had had exactly the same injury as him at virtually the same yeah. time. And I think he was probably, he must've been two months in. Cause I think he was pretty early on in his rehab process. And he's like, Steven Stamkos. So it was three months. Yeah. Whatever. Steven Stamkos is skating again. And I said, I'm sorry, are you Steven Stamkos? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. First of all, body type. Don't see it. <laughs> motivation to be making whatever he was making at that's the time. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's a level of professionalism versus amateur, but then does the 16 year old who has two more years of school and her ACL tear, she thinks it's going to affect her ability to get a scholarship yeah, to a university. Her family doesn't, you know, I had this one kid, her family lived in a, basement apartment of a house yeah so that's her only shot to, to get out that that's her only shot to get out yeah and so it it doesn't it can be it can be you know millions of dollars it can be an aspiration for millions of dollars or it can be i can't afford an education so this is my way to get and this is what's going to happen right but it works the other way as well is that some people lose their motivation because they're like actually i can i can continue on okay without the sport i want my body to do what i want it to do it doesn't have to do this particular thing right have you seen some frequent uh occurrences of like an athlete that comes to you has a major injury and then they just kind of quit yeah sadly is it frequent or is it just one of ten or something like that i yeah i would say it's infrequent okay but so I'll, I'll qualify that by saying that people always, almost always stay active. Yeah. So but, sort of like the, the basketball player kind of thing, playing soccer. Yeah. It's like in her head, she thought basketball was the problem. Oh, okay. But yeah. she played soccer for 10 more years. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, doesn't make <laughs> sense to me, Thanks. but <laughs> party so, on. So saying all that, what's the most common injury in athletes? I think I know the answer, but I'm not a pro like you, so. Uh. Oh, common injury uh, in athletes, specifically. In, in athletes, not that I see. Just, just in athletes that you see and that you're aware of, based on your education and your experience. Yeah, I would say some sort of knee injury. A ACL, probably. I would, I would say ACL, MCL. Yeah. Even just biomechanical stuff like patellofemoral syndrome. Yeah. Now the, the ACL is an interesting one because when I tore mine and it wasn't tremendously long ago, I think it was, a, I mean, in my probably 10 years now, but that's how long I've known you for a long time. Uh, when I tore it, I thought it was the end of my life. Like, yep. um, because, and because at that time I wasn't aware of, the advances in the medical procedures because I was just kind of going off of what you hear. Like, you know, like you watch some of those old football guys and they tear their ACL and their career was over after they tear their ACL. Um, it's interesting because it's now it's such a common occurrence. Like, I don't know the exact statistic, but uh, in the NFL, I, I, I remember the last time I read about it, it was something like something ridiculous, like at least 50 ACL tears 
a year in the NFL, and it's probably more. Um, why has that specific – I know that it's probably because it's uh, highly occurring, but why has that specific injury gotten so advanced, you think, in terms of the procedures? Oh, um, that's a really good question. Why it's gotten – so the the repair of it hasn't, I don't think, gotten so advanced. It's it's the rehab principle. It's the rehab principle, yeah. Um, my, so my, my mentor, you know, he was, he was, okay, so now I'm dating myself, but I mean, he was working early on when I was like in high school and stuff like that. He was starting his career and they still casted you yeah. for ACL. Uh, so that's like the nineties, right? Like, so if you think about, yes, 25 years ago is a long time, but it really isn't Yeah. in the grand scheme of things. So you used to be in a cast for two weeks. And they would cut out a little um, square in your cast so that they could put the muscle stim in. Oh, man. That's because ridiculous. think about how much your leg atrophied. Yeah, a lot. So think like, about what you do from a workout standpoint and think <laughs> about just because the ACL has such a neurological connection to your quad that yeah. once it's gone, your quad shuts off, right? Yeah. It's a protection mechanism, basically. 100%. So you have a surgery and your quad comes back a little bit, but it takes a quite a while. Yeah. I remember even the fittest people or strongest I, people. I remember the, uh, the first few days of the surgery, the only thing I was supposed to do was kind of wiggle my knee around a little bit and then try to, I think you, we call it quad sets where you just try to contract your, yeah. your quad. Like yep. that was it. And yep. I remember, you know, me and uh, my wife were dating then. She came over after like three. I'm like, look. And she looks and she's like, what the fuck? I don't see shit. I'm like, I'm nothing. moving my kneecap. <laughs> I'm moving my knee. Right? So I I, like, I understand that what you're saying with the, the neural connection to the quad, right? Yeah. And and so think now, now 25 years later, you're, I have always encouraged and have actually, you know, bet some people call it threatening but bet people that you know you will be walking without your crutches in the first five days yeah because you can yeah you're you know to go through the science a little bit there that first six weeks you've got a brand new fresh ligament right ligament in air quotes um but you've got a fresh tissue that is now doing what that ligament has done so let's get your button gear get the muscles working while they've got that support because ligaments basically from an anatomy standpoint are like pieces of tape. Yeah. Right. They hold, they hold the joints together and the muscles are the dynamic support. So you've got a brand new piece of tape holding those two bones together. It's stable. Let's get your button gear because that physiological change within that new ligament starts changing at that six week mark. Yeah. And you start getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Now, this is a random question, but I know like for the ACL, it was after six months, the tendon uh, technically forms into a, a traditional diagnostic ligament. Yeah, yeah. Is that about 85 to 88% is what Is that the same yeah. for every uh, replacement that they kind of do that with? Yes. Okay. Physiologically. So again, I have, I have a great bias towards um, patellar tendon. Uh, Graphs? graphs yeah so but it's 
it's a double-edged sword in a way because technically that structure is stronger just because it is Yeah. versus a hamstring. There's more stretch to it. Right. So when yeah. they put the hamstring graft in like you had, yeah, and they, they take the stretch out of the tendon so that it's not all flippy floppy. Yeah, yeah. But okay. So from a technical strength standpoint, but as you know, from a rehab standpoint, you can rehab a ton faster with a hamstring graft than you can uh -huh. with a patellar tendon because your quad, which is the muscle that's attached to your patellar tendon yeah. is always loaded yeah. regardless of what you do. Whereas your hamstring yeah. is only engaged when you're doing knee flexion type exercises. So from a rehab standpoint, it's 10 times easier. <laughs> but I mean, it does come with its uh, downfalls. I do have like a, a hole in my hamstring uh, especially when I, uh, lose weight or cut weight for a fight. It, right. It, yeah. it's evident. You had noticed that. Yeah. And then, um, I, I still, it, the belly has filled in a lot, a, a lot more, but I, I, and I'm going to call doctors out on this cause they need to stop fucking doing this. When they tell you you're going to regain a certain percentage, uh, it's, it's a fucking lie. Uh, you're not going to regain the 98, 99% that, um, they tell you it's a, it's a bull face lie. You'll be lucky if you get 90 and I'm just not saying that naively. I'm saying that as somebody who's gone through multiple different surgeries in my athletic career, uh, you're not going to regain. You're lucky if you get 98 to 99% of function back. If you use a graft and any surgery in, in my opinion, that's and, fair. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's something that doctors do too much. Maybe they do it to ease the patient's mind and make them feel like things are going to be okay. But I feel like it's better if you just be honest with them. If you're going to do the hamstring graft, you're going to lose at least eight to 10% of the strength that you had. And that's, I mean, for me, thankfully in my sport, I've uh, made it like that hamstring is super flexible. So before the surgery, I couldn't throw an ax kick and flip my head over my leg over someone's head. Now I can, because the, the, the hamstring is a lot looser in terms of flexibility than before. But I think it's a very shitty thing of surgeons and doctors to say that to people. And just to be honest with them, you're going to lose quite, a, you had an injury. You're going to lose some function if we do this. And to give it, so this is going to go on a tangent, but, and yeah. to give it a sports specific analysis, Yeah. right? So there are a lot of surgeons out there that do a certain graft because that's what they feel comfortable with or that scientifically that's what they feel is the best result. Yeah. There are some surgeons, fewer that I've dealt with, but there are some surgeons that assess or analyze what you actually have to do afterwards, okay. right? Or even structurally. When you're, when you're dealing with a 14 year old girl, it's like, well, is the patellar tendon long enough yeah. to actually do the proper graft, right? With you, and I, I remember telling you this when we were rehabbing is that my, anyone who did martial arts, yeah. they were the only ones who complained about that last little five to 10 degrees of flexion that they didn't have. Yeah, because you, you we, right? Like yeah. jujitsu is like a huge flexibility thing. knee flexion, especially yeah. right with force, and then you add in all the grappling aspects of having to have that that ability to have a quick, fast twitch of your hamstrings. Well, I think the key thing for the knee surgery was, um, if I remember correctly, is like 
imagine yourself just on your knees. You're on your knees and somebody is trying to take you down. So there's quite often times where you're getting taken down, you're on your knees. It's like that yoga pose where they, they're on the back. Like, and, but this is with somebody trying to tackle you. So your knees have to be able to, your ass literally needs to be able to touch your heels. It's, there's no other way to put it because, and I, and white, I see white belts coming and they don't have the flexibility and then they develop it over time. Cause it's, it's not that hard. It's an easy position to like be in every day and just develop the movement. But after any kind of surgery, like an ankle or a knee, you have to have that doing a grappling sport. I would even say football because of the way they fall. Right. Yeah. Fair. Yep. Yep. I but mean, how many other sports could you name that needs greater than 120 degrees of flexion? Not many not from many. a functional, right? Like from literally functioning, not getting yourself into a, uh, from a functional. Right? And the, I mean, and then there's the other part of uh, martial arts and combat sports where you can't wear a brace. Yeah, like you can wear an ACL brace. Like I'm pretty sure Tom Brady, because I know he's torn his. He still wears an ACL brace because he can. Yeah, right. And that's great because it, I, I would love to, because uh, it gives him that sense of security. It protects the joint from you know going into those directions, and it stabilizes the knee. But then there's other sports where you just absolutely can't. You can't. You can't yep. wear. A you brace. can't in rugby. You can't in soccer. You yeah. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure you can't in basketball either. It would be well, I don't think so either. No, you're right. Anything that I think has like football has outside protection, hockey has outside protection. Anything that's going to hurt people anyway. Well, I mean, <laughs> who I cares guess if any, you've got a brace on, right? Anything where you're wearing padding, I guess, where you yeah. you yeah. can wear them. But I mean, so for those other athletes, you're kind of screwed if you don't get the function and the range of motion back. Yeah, because you're gonna you you're probably going to either hurt something else or re-tear it again, I guess. Right. Yep. And as you know, as a strength coach as well, is that range of motion allows for strength. Yeah. The more range of motion you right? get, the more, the more activation you get. In certain yeah. Now is a injury where they have to cast it worse long-term in terms of rehabilitation. So you're talking about like a fracture a fracture or even uh, I'll use me as an example on Achilles. Yeah. Um, so the anytime that you're in a, in a soft cast, like yeah. in a boot, like you were. Well, I was where, in a hard cast for six weeks. Oh, we're in for six weeks. Yeah, okay. I made them take it off of me after the fifth. Cause I said, fuck that. I, I, I couldn't deal with it anymore, but I was in a hard cast for about four to five weeks for sure. Yeah. So I wouldn't even see now I'm becoming difficult because I wouldn't even say that casting versus whether it's because they don't often cast like that would be the last soft tissue injury really that they do casting for. Yeah. Right. So I would say less so like a, a casting issue more so what the structure is. So I have said, you know, for 16 years or whatever that, it's better just to break something, slap yeah. a cast on and get yourself back into the swing of things. Right. Whereas soft tissue takes so oh. much longer yeah. to rehab when, when the ligaments, I mean, not that sometimes when you fracture an ankle, your ligaments are also stretched or torn, but yeah. if nothing's happened to the soft tissue or the muscles, especially now, Bob's your uncle, like get the cast off and go for it. 
Now, you saying that with the bone breaks, um, there's a phenomenon going in with mixed martial arts, especially just because of the nature of the sport, um, where recently, I'd say over the last five to six years, uh, a tremendous amount of fighters have been throwing a leg kick and shattering their shin bone. Uh, the most recent Conor McGregor, I'm sure you've seen, maybe seen that highlight of him. I only saw his tight, his tight suit throwing. Yeah. <laughs> but he, uh, he's the most recent one who threw the kick. And, and shattered. he shattered, he shattered yeah. his own. He, he shattered his own shin Tibia. bone. Okay. And then yeah. when he stepped down, obviously it crumbled and, would you say that that would be better than a soft tissue injury still, even with that massive? No, no? that's, that's tremendous because they have to reconstruct the bone, right? But again, I don't, I don't know the case. Yeah. I don't know what, but yeah, like if you've got, if you've got fragmental fractures, yeah, um, anything that has to be surgically dealt with, then, as yeah. opposed to just slapping a cast on and letting the bone heal itself. So, so basically what you're referring to, if you know, you made contact or you fell on the floor or something and your arm broke, but it was a simple break. They just set it and put it in a cast. Yep. You look on an x-ray. It's a nice little line through the bone. Okay. Throw an immobilization on it. You're good to go. And okay. So we're not talking shattered fucking or like, yeah, yeah. anything, anything reconstruction wise so the bone is tough, is, right? Yeah. And if it's, you know, you think about biomechanics, if you're talking about mid shaft yeah. of a long bone, like a tibia, well, femur, I won't use, but you know what I'm saying? Like a, like a tibia, um, you know, like the ulna or the radius or something of the arm where it's just a long bone and it's mid shaft, things are broken. Perfect. But once you start getting into the joint, that starts getting more complicated, right? There are there are surfaces that are joining whatever's being reconstructed. And sometimes you can't get that range of motion back. Like I know with um, hockey players, they quite frequently have clavicular and shoulder injuries up here. Yep. Um, is because of the location of that, is this a terrible injury? Like in terms of to heal the clavicle? It can be. Are you talking about from a fraction? Yeah, from a fracture standpoint? standpoint, not a separated shoulder, like a fracture. <clears throat> yeah, because I mean, I would say separations suck even more. But um, yeah, fractures again. I'd say in again, I'm not, I'm not the be all end all of existence on this, but yeah. I've seen one or two. So I would say a ligament reconstruction, and then maybe one or two clavicles that have actually had any kind of uh, apparatus put in. Yeah. I saw, I saw one, uh, there was this kid that um, was a snowboarder and he had this awesome, it just looked like a tree. Like it looked like a Christmas tree. And it was one of those things that had been poorly managed. Like an x-ray is an x-ray. You see yeah. what you see and they're like, Oh, it'll just go back to normal. Oh, well, geez. <laughs> but it was literally splintered. Like you think about breaking a tree branch, yeah. right? It was literally splintered with the little bone fragments on top of it. And uh, they just let it heal and it was a ton of calcification and it was a long time of rehab and allowing him to go back to an impact sport like that. Well, um, but it healed note, with it. Sorry. Surgery. On a side note, I have a, a, a similar, um, it was actually an Achilles, a friend who had an Achilles tear. Um, he was playing basketball, felt something on his ankle, not right. Went to the doctor. They're like, Oh, you, you sprained your, your ankle. Uh, just rest. Uh, so then he doesn't live in this province. He moved. So he flew back to 
uh, where he lives in Alberta. And, um, you know, it was still bugging him. So he went and saw a doctor out there and this doctor did her diagnostics and, and ordered an MRI right away because she had a feeling and the MRI came back, I think a day or two later, cause she, she made it urgent and he had a, a severely torn uh, Achilles and she rushed him into surgery the next day because of the timeline of when the actual incident happened to when she saw him and what she told him after was that he should consider suing the person who told him that it wasn't, it was yeah. nothing to worry about because if he had come to her, you know, two, three weeks later, it might not have been repairable, uh, the degree of, uh, of what was happening. So do you, do you find that that's a, a common issue? Like the time of a misdiagnosis, a misdiagnosis. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a Did few you want me to elaborate on that? <laughs> no, no. Well, why, why, why is it, is it just laziness or is it, um, uh just not understanding the these specific uh injuries so what in ontario anyway yeah what is our first line of support in these cases i'm guessing the fam family the family doctor. doctor yeah right so again not any of your listeners i am not i'm not putting anybody down any kind of profession down we all have our specialties yeah, yeah. right so the, the issue is, is that that is our first line of offense, not the average person can't phone up a sports medicine doctor or hasn't had a surgery within the past year that they can phone up a surgeon and ask them to look at them, right? Yeah. Um, if you don't have good family friends that are such and such and such and such that can get you in wherever, right? Like yeah. that's few and far between. So you've got someone who is, um, you know, I'll call it a master of all, even though sometimes they aren't masters of all, right? Yeah. So I've had several, several patients whose physicians won't even send them for a diagnostic test. Jesus, that's ridiculous. They, they cite uh, radiation issues, even though we all have cell phones connected to our yeah, bodies right, on right. almost 24 seven, literally having microwaves go through our brain. Right? Really yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the first problem. The second problem is just not identifying that it's anything that there's actually a problem. Yeah. Uh, thirdly, the ones that, that just sort of blanket send you to therapy. There's not an understanding of what's good therapy and what's bad therapy. Yeah. That right. Was, that was what I was going to ask you. So you can be sent, you can be sent to Joe Blow therapist on how many therapy clinics are there as you drive down? Thousands, thousands. Right. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there's a decent person in there. Yeah. Every single place that knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, the thing that gets me the most, by far my biggest frustration, is as a therapist, because we are we have lots of knowledge. We should be able to fix people. Yeah. Regardless of what schooling you've had, whether you're a chiropractor, a physio, a massage therapist, an athletic therapist, you should have enough schooling, education, whatever you want to call it, experience, right? Yeah. Like if you've been doing it for five years plus, you should have enough experience to know when you can't help somebody anymore. Yeah. 
So I've had patients, this was earlier on in my career, um, where people had been going someplace for six months to a year. Yeah. Uh, well, without I know, any results. I know that. What are you doing? I know that all too well from clients, for one. Um, uh, I find it funny because I'm not a medical expert or a therapist or anything like that. But because I've fucked myself up so many times, and um, I mean, I'm thankful for it because now it gives me another range of specialty to help people with. But <clears throat> people are, have clients and just regular people who have hurt themselves. They've been going to therapy or physical therapy or chiropractors, you name it, for months and months and months, and they're still dealing with that pain. They talk to me. I give them like three exercises. I'm like, just do these three things for like the next five weeks and shut up and tell me what happens later. And then the next time I see them, dude, that healed me. Uh, and uh, I'm not saying I'm a, a physical therapist or whatever, but it's experience and paying attention to the details of these. Uh, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is I know like when I come to you with a problem, I give you the fucking kitchen sink. I'll talk your face off about everything I was doing when that thing happened. And I don't do it because I like, well, I do like to hear myself talk, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do it because I like to hear my, I think, I think my voice is too high pitched. I'd like a deeper voice. If I could, if I could talk to God and ask him for a favor, I'd like a deeper, more Morgan, more Morgan Freeman type voice. Uh, but it's because I try to give you the most descriptive um, uh, presentation as if you were in the room when it happened mm -hmm. so that you can understand. And I use this word with everybody I talk to comes to me with an injury problem, a mechanism, right? A mechanism of injury is, is really important because what I find with people is I'll do, I have a girl, I did a, her, I did her first boxing session with her like a, a couple of weeks ago. And then she sends me a text like three days later, like my shoulders all fucked up. I can't move it. And it won't, I can't touch my head. I can't scratch my ass. I'm like, she's like, do I need to go see the doctor? And I'm like, I said, no. She's like, why not? I'm like, I was there. There was no mechanism of injury. You're just punching shit. Something you haven't done before in your entire life i'm 99.9% .9 sure your muscles are just fucking mad at you and you need to just rest and ice and eat some good food hydrate whatever and lo and behold i was right um mm -hmm. how important is it for you as to treat and to uh die what was the word you used you didn't as you said assess assess, assess not diagnose no yep to know the mechanism of the injury or if there even was one. It's, it's a vital importance for sure. Yeah. Um, in the general population though, there isn't always one that they can Point come to. up with. Right. Yeah. Uh, athletes are very good at telling you what they were yeah. doing and yeah. what happened. Right. Cause there usually is. Um, with almost anything else, there isn't usually a major mechanism of injury. And again, as you're talking, my head goes into thinking and stuff like that. And yeah, it's great. It's awesome when someone comes in and tells you the complete and utter the, you know, story oh. and where you were and what you had to eat in the last 36 hours. And <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? When you actually understand what 
you understand what I'm looking for. Yeah. Right. And there are quite a few people that understand what I'm looking for, but it's not always the patient's job to tell you everything. Yeah. It's your job to probe, I guess. It's, right. I'm supposed to ask the right questions. And do you think that's an issue uh, in the yes. industry? <laughs> yes, I didn't, you didn't even fucking finish the sentence. Just yes, Ashton. Yes, I do. Why, and, I, I, and I've been guilty of it. Is it because of it's not a part of the schooling, or is it just because of uh, people skills? You think? Uh, I think some of it's people skills. I don't necessarily think that it's the schooling. Okay. Uh, again, I only know what I learned. Yeah, but. I think that, again, depending on where you work and what the objective is of the facility, sometimes you don't have time to ask the questions. Yeah. Like, I mean, It's the same as your 10-minute doctor's appointment. Yeah. Yeah, my, yeah. That's all the OHIP pays them for, right? So. Right? Like, how can, how can you get to the root of something when yeah. – and I think that's – I again, I think that's one of the things that I always pride myself on was I'll listen to you. Yeah. If we don't get to what we need to get to, then we don't get to it. But if I can fix you within two to three treatments instead of six months. Yeah. Now, now saying two to three treatments, um, when you have a non-surgical um, injury, uh, I, there's so many schools of thought on this. And like, I'm curious to know this too, um, because there's, I mean, each injury is different or each incident is different, but what is more... Uh, productive in terms of rehabilitation, aggressive or a passive kind of therapy? Aggressive. Aggressive. If you're only if you're only giving me two options, yeah. Well, I mean, Again, we're, we're, everything depends. Yeah. Everything like, depends. Obviously, but, like if you pull a muscle, you know, rest for a few friggin' yeah. days. Yeah. 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 For sure. But there, again, like the grand majority of things that I would have seen for the last ten years of my career, right? First five years, I was treating kids all the time. Yeah, 80% were kids. So playing whatever sport hurt themselves, you know, in theory, in theory, don't play your sport for two to three weeks. Let's rehab it. Blah, you're back. Right. Easy peasy. Um, But with like the biomechanical injuries, you can take, you can rest for 24 to 72 hours, maybe depending on the severity, but you got to move and you got to, you got to do something. You got you have to make change to that tissue, whatever that means. So one of the things I always kind of like it's it might be an old school mentality, but um, I don't think it is. I think it's like this is just hard nose being a freaking you know hardworking human. Is uh, say you hurt your knee, right? And you 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 know you get a sprain, you're out for four to six weeks, whatever. You still have an upper body. Right. And um, I mean, one of the greatest things I take away from all of my injuries was that I kept working throughout it uh, because one, it kept my, my brain and my, my body active. But two, there's literally a scientific principle of blood flow. The more blood flow you put into your body and get into your joints, the faster you recover. Yep. Um, do you think that that's one of the biggest reasons of why the aggressive approach is better in the passing? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think there's, and I know I keep on going back to this, but it's just, it's been a big part of my career that you, you can't take the psychological out of things, right? Once the physical has actually rebounded, there's a whole lot of other stuff that you have to work on with people and regular, regular non, 
non-professional athlete people too right um so yeah from a literally from a physiological standpoint blood flowing through your body it helps to filter out the inflammation that's happening at whatever site it is um the you know oxygenation of all the the tissue in your body keeping the strength you know again depending on what it is and how long you're going to be not doing something with that joint yeah you you have to stay strong in order to compensate for that yeah right if you're looking at something that you're on crutches for if you've got this piddly weak upper body how are you supposed to suspend yourself on these things yeah i mean i got the knee scooter (laughs) 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 they do make it easier to be lazy you know that right Uh, uh, but i will say this the knee scooter did fuck my hip up a little bit well so then there you go and i mean think about how how much we worked on your hip after acl too yeah Uh, right like it's and that that's a common thing with acl patients for sure is that you get because you've been walking all hike you know once you start walking you're you're hiking your leg instead of using it properly people start getting hip problems low back problems there's all that even to this secondary complication sorry even to this day um when i had the pec surgery and i was in the sling for what whatever it is the four to six weeks after i still get elbow jams like if someone mm-hmm. was to punch my forearm, it jams my elbow and I was, there'd be a second of, and that was only because I was in the sling in that stupid friggin' 90 degree flex position. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's not, doesn't affect me in terms of things, but there's sometimes when uh, something will draw my hand, I'm like, ah, geez, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, well, I mean, it happens. That's what I think in my head. Uh, <laughs> It, it, um, in therapy there's so many different approaches by like a bunch of different professionals right i mean this goes back okay. to active and passive um but like i'll use the one of the biggest examples is ice right you know yep. when when you were we were coming up everyone's like oh you heard something throw some ice on it and uh you'll be good you know take down the swelling with the ice and then over the last three years four years it's kind of come out. No, you shouldn't be icing injuries. You shouldn't do that. There's so many different contradicting approaches by all sorts of medical professionals, especially when it comes to orthopedic stuff like we deal with and you deal with. Um, why is that? And how do we kind of like get past it? Cause I feel like it's kind of holding the game back in terms of rehabilitation. And I totally, thought about this last night when I was thinking about the kind of the kinds of things that we would talk about. Yeah. Um, because I, I am and was a strong proponent of icing yeah. for an acute injury. Right. So yeah. the whole theory to explain to people a little bit more that, that generalized theory of not icing is that people had theorized that, when you acutely injure yourself, there's a blood rushing to the site, right? Which carries yeah. with it certain chemicals that are a trying to protect you from not further injuring yourself. Secondly, it's the body's way of trying to start to heal itself. Yeah. Right. So that technically is true. What people started, what this whole thing that you're talking about that started coming to the forefront yeah. about six years ago is that, why would you want to stop that? 
That's the body's yeah. natural way of trying to heal itself, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, less about taking drugs, less about doing it. Okay, so yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that theory. As a therapist, if you're walking in and you're paying a good chunk of money to come and see me yeah. <laughs> and get some advice, you want me to do something about the pain that you're in. Yes, 100%. Right? Pain is the one, the first thing people first, want gone, right? Yeah. The first thing people want gone. Okay. So I would argue that, again, this is an acute injury. If there is swelling, getting rid of that swelling is the first and foremost yeah. thing that you need to do. That's not always icing it. No. That's more compression. Yeah. Right? So that's you sprain your ankle. You wrap it in a tensor, you put a compression sleeve or a compression sock on it, something like that. That's yeah. going to make you feel 10 times better than just icing it. Yeah. And that's right. Because that's containing, people swell. can't see me, containing the, <laughs> the eruption of fluid in your body yeah. that's causing the compression on the nerves. It's causing a lot of pain. Right. Yeah. yeah. But icing your ankle for 15 minutes every couple of hours is not delaying the yeah. heal in my personal opinion sorry in oh. my personal opinion that's not delaying the healing significantly those processes don't stop permanently just because you've iced it for 15 minutes yeah that's the you know and you I are you are sending a signal to your brain that something is now numb yeah so that you can chill on the couch and watch just, just be pain-free <laughs> pain for a few minutes right right yeah so and not that not that i not that i subscribe to this but there's other parts of rehab where pain is inhibiting the person from actually doing something that they need to do yes like uh a herniation in the back sure yeah that's, right. that's a great example where i had a herniation i've had everything i had a herniation it caused a uh sciatic which debilitated me for six months until I was finally able to alleviate the pain and then properly rehabilitate the injury. Right. right. right? So, I mean, the going back to what you said about compression, when I had this most recent surgery, um, I could ice as much as I wanted to and it made it feel good. Like it made it feel good. You know, like when things are swelling, the joint feels hot. And yeah. Feeling. Uh, yeah. so it was it made it calm down in terms of that but the only thing that actually moved the swelling out of my ankle and allowed me to perform day-to-day -day walking without discomfort was a compression sleep yep and um like i'm not knocking on the icing but i think this is one of the things you've always told me was if it feels good do it yeah right and i think that that's something more uh therapists and more doctors should kind of go with other than textbook, because as you know, everyone nowadays with all the COVID shit, trust the science, trust the science. Yeah, well, yeah. Sometimes the science is right, but there are alternative ways that just work for each individual body because everybody's body is different. Everybody's pain threshold is different. Everybody's neurological connections are different. Um, so what, is textbook is not necessarily what's going to work for that human being. Right. Nope. And, and, um, but why do, why do the, uh, the professionals like, is it just an arrogance to their specific field of rehabilitation that they just 
they don't want to do it this way and that's the only way? <clears throat> I don't know whether it is in I don't know whether it's that or whether it is you learn a certain way. Yeah. And you kind of just stuck with it. You stick with it. You learn a certain way. You believe in it. Mm. So you continue. Yeah. Um, you learn a certain way. You don't read or you don't listen to literature that comes along. Yeah. Um, or that you learn something and you're just sort of stubborn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's well, one of it's, those. And I yeah. was, I was stubborn. I had opinions same, same on me. certain professions. Yeah. I had, you know, thoughts on how things should be. I can't believe someone is saying that sort of thing. And what I say to people in terms of my advice, especially with exercises, because that's the toughest thing to get someone to buy into yeah um a lot of the time is prove me wrong yeah yeah and i'm suggesting something go and do it if it doesn't work we'll try something else like i've never again probably in the past 10 years you know this is my suggestion based on what i'm looking at right now but i am more than willing to give you a different option if that doesn't work for you well and i feel like that's why the world is so fucked up right now with what's going on is because the approach that we're using for our pandemic uh, responsing and stuff is, you know, this is what we know now, right? This is what the science tells us now. And in terms of this, I'm not just referring to COVID. I'm kind of just trying to relate it to people so they can kind of get a better grasp of what we're talking about. Um, we know how it functions. We know how this stuff works right now, but in three months, we're going to do more studies. We're going to have more control groups. We're going to have a lot more data. So things are going to change. And then in six months, things are going to change. And in 12 months, things are going to change. So we can't get caught up with what we know now as being the end all be all. And I think that's, you know, when people talk about, you know, I love, I studied science. I have a science degree. Same with you. I love science. But when you get philosophical about science, a theory is the theory, right? That's it's not mm -hmm. a, a proven fact, and um, even a fact, a fact, three hundred years ago, is not a fact anymore. Facts change. Like uh, um, I think we get caught up in this thing that a fact is a concrete. This is concrete proof. Like gravity is a fact. Well, yeah. Right? Other than gravity, yes. Other than gravity. <laughs> gravity is the fact. We figured that one out. Yes. Figure that one out. <laughs> but the rest of them, if you look at the world philosophically and if you look at things that me and you do in terms of strength coach and, and professional sports and you in terms of rehabilitation, I don't believe that there is a such thing as a fact. I think that there are things that work for people and then those things kind of change over time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the the fact is the structure. Yeah. The fact is the physiology. Yes, 100 percent. Right. So virtually within 95 to 98 percent, the same stuff is happening within a person's body. Yeah. Right. We've got definitely different. Again, that's beyond my scope, but 
we've got definitely genetic micro differences. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, you know, some people don't respond to certain medications. Yeah. Some people pass out from an Advil. Like it's, yeah. it's quite interesting to me from I, that standpoint. I, I right? throw up for an anesthetic and some people don't. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And some people's bodies just, you don't experience pain. Some people, you know, cut their finger on whatever and they're in agony for a week. It's just, it's the way those are the, the, the differences. Yeah. And from what we do, what we try, and I think our similarity is the exercise part of it and yeah. the wanting to help people and wanting to teach people um, and try and gain a body awareness, which is very difficult. Yeah. Um, that's very intrinsic and you don't have to be a top level athlete to have that, but you, what we're trying to do is to teach people so that they can help themselves. Yes. Right. Use us as a tool, but us as a tool, we're supposed to have a wrench and a hammer yeah, and a screwdriver. And a, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the quintessential kind of metaphor of your tool belt. So-and-so wants to do such and such. Well, you know, six out of 10 people might be able to do the same thing yeah. to achieve that goal. But those other four are going to need some, some tweaking and some alterations. Right. Well, well I mean, this is what, what I kind of tell every client that I've ever had. And, and anybody who inquires to, to, to work with me or train with me on any level, it's, I am not like, I, I'm not good life fitness. I'm not, um, LA fitness. I am not chasing a paycheck and I'm not chasing uh, money from you. I don't want somebody feeding my bank account every certain amount of days because they are reliant on me. My goal as a coach, as a human being, as a martial artist is to give people the tools to be able to do these things themselves and still come see me so that I can give you even more from my expertise. So I don't want someone coming to see me three times a week for 10 years. Then to me, I haven't done my job really well. I want someone to come see me three times a week, maybe for six months, and then twice for maybe two years. And then once, then once a week for another year and a half. And then, you know, we got you there. You, you know how to exercise. Now you just come and see me once a month because you want to. And we do some new fun shit and you add it into your repertoire. And that's how I, I view my business, my person, my training business. That's how I view martial arts. That's how I view everything. And I, I feel like the medical profession doesn't really follow that, so to speak, because I think a lot of things are money driven, obviously. Yep, of course. Um, yep. In terms of, uh, if we look at the world right now, pharmaceutical driven, um, where it's not so much person oriented as it is business oriented. Yes. And if we can get away from that as health practitioners and health, like as a, a physical trainer, like, because when you walk into a good life or a uh, LA fitness, I hate to pick on them all the time, but they always give me material, right? Oh, <laughs> right. The uh, biggest target. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you, yeah, they sign you up for membership and then they sell, try to sell you on a personal training pad. It's just just how it goes. Mm -hmm. And some people get roped in and they're stuck with payments they can't afford. Yada yada yada. Some people they they just don't need it. 
they're independent. They just don't need it, but they get forced into these situations and then it kind of loses their passion for things. Uh, and because of the financial driven behind uh, of what we do of helping people. And I, I mean, I feel like I'm rambling now, but it's, it's a piss off because it actually hurts people in the long term, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it goes back to what you're saying is this is why people are turning to like WebMD instead of actually going to see somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Or buying the latest, greatest thing you can leap on top of or have pummel into your leg. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. all those apparatus that are part of the the rolling out family or the fixing this family. Yeah. Right. Think about how many people, you know, have five to six of whatever late night uh, infomercials. Are yeah, yeah, I know, as I know well, right. Yeah. yeah. Quick, as opposed to seeking steps, out, yeah. there's a thousand dollars right there. Yeah. Whereas you've could you could have sought out a half decent professional that could well, teach I'll, you. I'll give somebody something here. This is something that I've literally, and I, I'm giving this away free. I'm not even charging this shit, but, um, it's a very simple exercise, a terminal knee extension. I have literally solved, I, can, I can't count how many knee problems with people who have asked me, like not even clients, just people I have a knee problem, do ter- terminal knee extension. You put a fucking band around your knee and you, ha- you basically kind of forcefully hyperextend your knee, squeezing the quad. It's something that you showed me during my ACL rehab. Um, and I have never touched a leg extension machine since. And it has solved almost everybody who has come to me with a knee issues, knee issue. Um, and that was just because I, I, I just, it works. It's a valid, valid tool that works. There's no financial gain from it, right? I don't gain anything, but it's a working fucking exercise. It solves the problem, but you go see somebody for a knee problem, they'll give you a whole fucking slew of shit to do and it won't solve the issue. Mm-hmm. Right. But the, the solutions are always there. I, I feel like I'm rambling now, but I don't give a shit. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> the solutions are there. It's just, I find like sometimes in the industry, we're in a health kind of field, but it's kind of shitty because um, personal gain kind of gets involved with, with the industry. Yeah. Yep. Where something as simple as that one exercise that can solve literally a slew of different knee problems, meniscus, tears, strains, sprains, whatever the hell. All you have to do is tell the person to do that and get out of here and they will be healthy. Instead, because they want something long term from them, yep. um, that's what happens, right? Yep. yep. And uh, how do we fix it? I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to fix it either. It needs The industry needs to change, and that's beyond you and I. But um, it's, uh, again, I have always said that I would rather, and it was exactly what you were saying, I would rather have, you know, people have to eat and pay the rent. But, like, I would rather have 2,000 people that trusted me and believed in me and came and saw me two or three times a year because they knew that I could fix whatever was wrong with them as opposed to having a hundred people come three times a week for 
yeah. six to eight months. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. It's yeah. as a as a therapist. I've always said as a therapist too, or even as a strength coach. Like, how do you how do you feel like you're doing something? Yeah, if you have. I mean, I got into this to try and help people. Yeah, exactly. How how do you wake up every single day and say, oh, I've got the same people? Yeah, they're not feeling any better. Like, what do you say to yourself? Yeah, exactly. And um, okay, this is totally off topic, but I just I <laughs> my friend, I gotta get want, it in. <laughs> I was like, I gotta get it in before we finish. Um, there's one specific procedure that I. It has been so advanced over the last couple of years. It just like, because it's such a ma- like a hip replacement, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like, I've never had a hip problem. This is not something, not one of my many thousands of surgeries I've had. Um, but it's advanced significantly to the point where um, a patient can go in, get a hip replacement and walk out the same fucking day. Whereas there's stories I've heard from like, uh, I'm sure you never heard of John Danner. He's a famous jujitsu coach where he's had a hip surgery. It ended up shortening his hip and he, he can't do shit anymore. It led to a knee surgery. Um, how has, I mean, science and medicine is marvelous, but how has that specific one sort of just advanced so significantly from the time? I think again, so materials have changed. Yes. Obviously. Right. So the material that they use has changed. Um, The actual procedure hasn't changed that much. I think it's like a lot of things. It's sort of like, it's like having a baby. Yeah. Right. Like you, you're out in what, 18 hours now or something like that. When you have, when you have a kid, it's like, Oh, time your parking's there. Like, let's go kind of thing. Nobody's, nobody's babying you for anything other than life threatening stuff. Right. And, and again, okay, I'm going on a tangent, but yeah. from to relate to being in an ICU for bypass surgery, yeah. right? I would think, I used to think, oh my God, what a horrible thing to have happen. You must be in the hospital forever. No, you're in there for two to three days. Yeah, and then you're out. Yeah. And then you're out, right? Yeah. So the same with babies, like you're out within 24 hours. Yeah. Sometimes depending on the severity, obviously it depends on whether it was just regular hunky dory fabulousness or whether there were complications. And I mean, that works for any kind of procedure, but hips now, uh, my parents have had, they've had three amongst the two of them. And my dad's waiting for his, his second. Yeah. And they were in for, I think 36 hours and out. And then out. And so I think that's the biggest, and I'm in full support of that, obviously. Right. I think that's the biggest change. And so the, the materials have changed. <clears throat> the smoothness and length of time that it takes has changed yeah. uh, for the better. But the, the literal process and biomechanics are exactly the same. And they're just like, get your butt moving. They've got a physio that comes into your room while you're at the hospital. Yeah getting you to move they've realized that and it goes back to the acl too they've realized in the past 20 years that especially with orthopedics with something and i think the joint replacements are pretty simple because it's like lickety split yeah you know chop chop drill 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 put it you've got new stuff right that's that's being the soft tissue that it once was or the the degraded harder tissue like cartilage but it's 
see you later. Get get your butt moving and start getting these muscles to support whatever we've so done. It all, it all comes back to basically a more aggressive approach yeah. to um, injuries and therapy and 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 basically orthopedics in general, right? Yep, most definitely. And I and I think you're getting I mean the crummy part is usually people who do joint replacement are the uh older yeah. generation of surgeons. No young uh fancy person wants to wants to be doing joint replacement, right? That's not that's not where you get famous, but um it's still very important to do it properly and to not cause infection and you're dealing with a population who's going to hold you accountable yeah, exactly. as well right you've got you cancel got culture <laughs> that's right. let's cancel the surgeon that's right. you've got you know you've got some older generations that expect a little bit more yeah. um and it's a very important you know not to take away from it it's a very important my mom is like night and day yeah with hers in terms of pain like a chronic pain that you're dealing with it's like night and day yeah and i've seen that in a few people too that's why i wanted to ask you why it was like that but before honestly i think it's getting people's bums moving instead instead of keeping you in a hospital bed slash in your own bed yeah um you all with any surgery you have to respect the integrity of the incision how small or how big it is you cannot have infection yeah yeah, right. Know. You can, you don't want separation of the tissue because that delays healing, that, that delays rehab. Yeah. If every time you stretch the tissue, you're opening things up again, that's, that's a problem. Um, but do the stuff that you can do. Yeah. And do some knee. If it, you're talking about a hip replacement, do some knee activation, right? Do your terminal extensions, do your ankle pumps. Yeah. Just get, move, get moving, right? Just get moving. Yeah. Uh, and before we wrap this shit up, I have to ask you one more thing, uh, because it is, uh, I mean, with all the pandemic stuff that they're kind of taking a backseat to this, but, um, the alternative treatments of PRP and stem cells, um, something I'm, I haven't had the, uh, privilege yet of, of using those treatments, but because mostly because they're not very accessible here in Canada, um compare they're slightly more accessible in the u.s but um there's a place out in uh because of the laws in panama where literally thousands of athletes are flying to and they're shooting these guys up and they're having tremendous results i know mel gibson went on um joe rogan's podcast i don't know if you saw that one and said the his dad was in a wheelchair couldn't walk went down there they did the full body stem cells the guys up out of the chair moving well, yeah there's, there's thousands of athletes who have, have done those kind of therapies. Yeah. Uh, why are we so behind in North America with that? Is it, is this a political issue? Is this, um, because the, the evidence is there that these treatments do work quite well. Um, is it money driven? Because if they do work, obviously surgeons and other, uh, doctors, will have less business. Uh, I can't put my finger on it of why uh, it's happening. Because even when I had my two kids, I wanted to keep the fucking placenta, not because I wanted to be like Kim Kardashian and eat it and shit, but because I know there's money involved in that. And and literally I watched them take my wife's placenta and just do shit to it and take it. And I'm like, I want that. That's, that's hers. That's mine. But it's illegal here to even, you know, mm. do that. Mm-hmm. Why, why is it? Why are the, this this valid form of treatment that it does have the research behind it and does have the results? 
something that we're not using? Um, so, in my opinion, yeah. <laughs> this is based on virtually nothing. Yeah. Um, so, first and foremost, both of those treatments are incredibly expensive. Yes, I know that. And so, we'll start with that, is that any, any new treatment does not automatically get covered by OHIP, oh, right? Yeah. So, and we won't go into some of the fraudulent things that you can do yes. in the OHIP system as well, right? So taking, taking things strictly as they are, new treatments, especially in Canada. So I've had, I've had a handful of patients that also worked for pharmaceutical companies. Okay. Um, they were trying to do, in my opinion, again, I know these people, right? So I, I know them at a certain level. Um, one of them worked for a major pharmaceutical company that was trying to get, now we see it on, on commercials all the time, about the diabetes, like the kind of like permanent stickum yeah, and the, the digital scanning and stuff like that. So yeah. she was trying to get that in Canada for three years. And they just didn't let it. That's a common, a, a disease that we know everything about yeah. practically. Yeah. Right. They're not fixing it, but this is like, this is a method of people more easily assessing their blood sugar yeah. It's way better than picking pricking your finger. Stupid, yeah. I see my dad. You know, at least twice time. a day, kind yeah. of thing. Um, and it's more accurate than pricking your finger. Yeah. So again, you're in theory, and the pharmaceutical company would obviously say this, is that you're you're really lessening the amount of hospital visits or doctors' visits that this individual would have to to deal with, right? Yeah. It took it's Canada, and I it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, is that we have very stringent um, health policies here. Yeah. Think think about how, okay, so again, I won't get into COVID with you, but yeah. the the US just approved vaccines for kids. Yeah. I know. Today. Yeah, I heard that. Right? That's, that's so it's a topic. I'm not gonna Yeah, it's a whole that. which we're not gonna get into, but yeah, it's yeah. like it's the fact that the, you know Europe especially is light years ahead of us. Yeah. Is that is it public health care? Is it Canadians? Is it the fact that we're a fraction of the population of a whole bunch of other countries that are doing this? Is it we don't have enough money in research? Is it that we like to be the guys that, you know, do things last, do things last? Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Th that's exactly what I was going to say. Do we want to yeah. use other people as examples first? Right? It's that's a, a big, grand big. scope. Based off the pandemic, I don't think that that's the truth in terms of do things last. Um, uh, off of how just of how public health has handled things, um, but I mean these treatments. Uh, I have multiple people tell me that it has worked for them. Like obviously yeah. because they're they're expensive, uh, not a lot of people are doing it. But I'll give one example, uh, just so people understand. There was um, <clears throat> when I when he, this at he had a calf injury as a fighter had a calf injury, not nothing major. I think he just tore the muscle a little bit, but the calf wouldn't heal. He was 18 at the time, five or six and I was an amateur, you know, wanting to turn pro really badly, but he just, this calf injury was just incessant. The tear wouldn't heal. They tried every type of therapy. So now he's like, 
20 years old and getting frustrated, right? Because it won't heal. This little tear won't heal. So they shoot it up with PRP. Within three months, the kid's fine. Yeah. And he's he's turned pro and he's fucking fighting at a fantastic high level now. Nothing worked except for the PRP shot. Yeah. Right. And um, we're not talking about that stuff. And I think that, you know, and this is just me putting on my tinfoil conspiracy theory hat is a lot of it has financial impact on certain people. And I think it's fucking as healthcare and health providers and somebody who wants to help people get fit and healthy. I think it's freaking terrible that there's a treatment out there for so many different um, ailments, like sprains, tears that, that can literally make people avoid getting massive surgeries and there's no discussions about it. And it's valid. And I think, I think more work needs to be done in terms of research and stuff because I have heard stories where people shoot themselves up with stem cells and it didn't do anything. Yep. Therapy um, the same way. Yep. Yeah. And it didn't yep. do anything, which is valid. Yeah. Not every treatment works. Like if I go for acupuncture, it's not going to work for everybody. Nope. Right. Chemo doesn't work for everybody either. That, exactly. But yeah. I think it's a, it's a big hit to humanity that there's this definitely a huge scientific leap in the fields of orthopedics and the fields of, of rehabilitation and even athletics um, that it's kind of just, no one wants to do it because I feel and this is my opinion. I feel if stem cell treatment and PRP treatment became regular, became something that was normal, like, Oh, I've, I've pulled my quad. I want to get back into the game next week. How can yep, shoot it up with PRP? It's going to accelerate that healing process by a hundred percent. We're going to be, there are a lot of people who are out of a lot of money and When I say that, I mean doctors, healthcare. In a, in a privatization standpoint. In, in a privatization. Yeah. 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 And a yeah. lot of people. And that specific treatment is being held back by money, in my opinion. It, it, it's an expensive thing, but it could be brought down in terms of cost by making it more publicly available because then competition will occur and the free market will help drive the cost of the service down. Yep. Yep. Right. And yep. I just, and this is just my opinion and I'm putting my tin, but I feel like it's all because of how the potential of how good it is. And like I said, I say potential because more work needs to be done with it. We need more people that need to uh, use these therapies to, to see the results, but because of the potential of it and how highly effective it can be, uh, it's kind of being suppressed a bit. Is that? Yep. On, on both ends, I would say. So I would agree with you. Definitely, it's financial. Yeah. So it's that the, we'll call it a market price, yeah. has been set at about $700. Yeah. So now you publicize this. It's part of OHIP. Probably they're not going to pay $700. No, they won't. They barely pay $10, right? So, so now the, the physicians that are doing it are not going to get their $700. They might get $300. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a discussion for another night. But this is <laughs> it is it yeah. is the problem and and a bigger problem. This is a global statement is that we are not and I'd say whether you're a private healthcare or public healthcare whatever, tons of countries are not into prevention. Yes, they're into after the fact. 
right? Yeah. You, you don't make money in prevention. Yeah. And yeah, that's a great from from a government standpoint. Yeah, if from you a want government, to go big big government aspects yeah, of things, no, no, right? you're right. And I mean, I, I, COVID aside, that's obviously seen with some of the COVID kind of stuff that's happening in the world right now. So I mean, it's just a travesty because I think that in terms of just the fields of just health in general, can benefit so much from it. it and um, I see the potential. Tons of other people have seen the potential, and it's just. I think that that's one of the reasons why is because it could literally be a game changer. Um, but then the money aspect, that $700 a shot will obviously be driven down significantly because of competition. And, and yeah, and I mean, we'll wrap that up with that, but I mean, it's a travesty. It's a travesty. I mean, I don't know if there's anything that can be done about it other than keeping the talking about it. I think that more people need to know. About yeah, it. I think, I think it needs to be, I mean, again, not going into it, it's going to be one of those things where the rich get yeah. what they want. Yeah. And the people who can't afford it don't. And again, that's a global statement, Yeah. but it, it's, that type of treatment, so PRP especially, is very specific. Yeah. Right? It can't treat everything. No. But those chronic tendonitis and tendinosis and those long standing scarring type injuries, yeah. it has worked like magic for 100%. For a lot of people. Even, right? uh, even when I went to the Cleveland Clinic and Dr. Miniachi assessed my knee and said, You don't need surgery. He's like, I wish I saw you uh, when this injury happened because. If we had shot it up, I guarantee you would have had a significant healing in the actual ligament instead right. of now just yeah. it's going to scar and you have to rehab. Yeah. Uh, and he, even he said that. He said it's a shame that you had to jump through these hoops before you got to me to see me to make this diagnosis because he's like, definitely for sure, if we shot the knee up, even with just one shot, if that's all you could afford, you would have had at least a 10% tissue regeneration. And I would take 10% for $700 yeah. any fucking day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, so I'm sure a lot of other people would take that too, especially if they're in a lot of pain. Yeah. Anyway. And, and I think that, sorry, I just want to say, because yeah, I don't want to say that this is all about people with money. It's, yeah. it, it goes back to our conversation about practitioners presenting all options. Yeah. And in as realistic and unpressuring manner that they can right yeah Pre present things objectionally and it's just sort of like this these are your options this is how much it costs this is what you can do via ohip and Maybe. you know informed informed decisions and informed consent is what the medical profession is all about well, right? that, doesn't, like, that doesn't exist anymore <laughs> well it doesn't exist for a lot of people but again yeah. going back to what what we were talking about is that I think there needs to be more people, practitioners, strength coaches, people in the health field yeah. that you are already paying for their services, right? Yeah. You've already consciously made a decision to come to one of us and give us money for our knowledge is that as that practitioner, you have to give that person as much information as, possible. information as you possibly can. And then it's up to the person to make that decision. Yeah. To make that decision and to do what you suggested they should do. Yeah. And there you go. 
let's wrap this shit up because I know you gotta go to bed and I gotta go to bed. I got these two fuck. I got right? <laughs> you have two. people that might wake you up. <laughs> yeah. Two little assholes. I call little assholes. Anyway, you, thank you so much for doing this. We gotta do thank it again you. sometime. Thank you for asking. Appreciate uh, appreciate your expertise. Um, if people want to come and see you for some treatment, where can they find you? So I am at the Movement Lab in Mississauga. All right. Um, that is 3611 Mavis Road <laughs> in just, Mississauga. Just, just, Google it. Just, just Google just it. Just Google it. The Movement Lab. <laughs> Ask for more with Swain. That's, that's right. <laughs> One of the best in the game. All right. So thank you, everyone, for joining me for, for another episode of Grind My Gears. And that's it. Have a great day. Peace out. Everybody, thank you for watching. Please do me a favor, click the like below, share on YouTube, share on Instagram, share on Facebook, spread the word so I can keep creating more content for you, and keep providing you with a great podcast experience. Peace out.